Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. What I've learned about that is that the right thing does surface. And I've never been happier in my professional life than I am at Elation. Everything in my career history, all the lessons that I've learned, all the roles that I've had, all the opportunities I've been given have led me to this job. Three, two, one. My name is Spree Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hey, this is Adam Marks. I'm a tech founder, writer, and consultant, and I've been listening to The Women in Tech podcast for about three and a half years now. Esprit does a phenomenal job spotlighting female entrepreneurs from all over the world. And one thing I love about the show is listening to their stories and how they've built their companies and organizations. We should always be pushing for representation and equality. Every time we go into the boardroom, every time we look for co-founders, every time we look to hire employees for our companies. So support representation and equality, support the Women in Tech podcast, Follow me at AdamMarks13 on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And remember to always look for the orange sunglasses. LinkedIn presents. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, where we are celebrating women in tech from around the world. Here today with us, we have Dr. Sarah Pastor, who is a wonderful colleague of mine, and I'm very, very excited to talk to you. Uh, Before we get into it, I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is Anika Aftab. I'm based in Honolulu, Hawaii, and I've been passionate about the healthcare space my whole life. I'm incredibly excited to be interviewing women that are changing the healthcare landscape, one tech company at a time. So when you're ready, we're just going to jump right into the questions. Okay. All right. Amazing. All right, Sarah, can you tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am a family physician and I spent the first 15 years of my healthcare career in the army medical department. And, um, today I work for Elation as the director of primary care advancement And uh, my role is really about primary care evangelism. I get to preach the gospel of primary care all over the land. I do do some work internally to help um, drive a more clinical perspective to our product development and um, also help influence um, strategy. And I do some work to help raise the primary care literacy of our teams so that um, everyone at Elation really understands what primary care is, why it's important, 
um, what the problems are to solve and where elation can help. And then externally, I do thought leadership, policy advocacy, um, collaboration with um, other uh, primary care focused organizations and um, public speaking, things like that. That is amazing. And I don't know how you have time for anything else. (laughs) That's, that's absolutely amazing. And I, I don't even know where to start right now. So let's, let's start with elation. So you worked for elation. Um, Can you tell me what elation means to you? Well, my first introduction to elation was um, years ago when I actually was working in healthcare delivery and uh, was an elation user. So I was taking care of patients as a primary care physician using elation. And I had used several EHRs in the past um, and uh, some big name EHRs that everyone would know. Uh, And I absolutely loved elation. It was the best EHR experience I had ever had. And it was honestly refreshing to use elation. I could really feel uh, how differently it had been developed and uh, so I was a big fan and everybody that I worked with um, in that healthcare delivery company um, also agreed like this is so much better, like not perfect, no EHR is, but so much better than anything else I've ever used. And then years later, Elation decided to um, hire their first physician into a role that they had, you know, some basic idea of what they wanted a physician to do. Um, but not a lot of clarity about that. And um, I have um, in my career been uh, really fortunate to have multiple times been hired into brand new roles where we're not really sure what to do, but, you know, we want you to help us co-create that or invent it. And uh, so I got to do that again at Elation. And what I love about Elation that I didn't know before when I was just a user is that Elation is so much more than an EHR company. They really are on a mission to rescue independent primary care in this country. And so focused on primary care, on payment transformation to support primary care, on the unique value that primary care brings to healthcare and to society, and and therefore the unique needs of technology um, and other systems of support to support that. So I, I have really found a great home, I think, at Elation uh, because it aligns so well with my passion for primary care and, um, and you know, the need to uh, really restore primary care to its powerful role in healthcare. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me a bit about, like, why primary care? Why is primary care so important? You know, primary care is the only medical specialty that produces better health outcomes and decreases the total cost of care. Uh, There's lots and lots of evidence. Uh, Anybody can Google it. There's no denying that high value primary care really can increase life expectancy, um, improve other health outcomes, improve chronic disease management, um, prevent bad outcomes from cancer and other things, uh, communicable diseases, and um, and that relationship between a primary care physician and their patient is really powerful in a person's life. Uh, when you have a good, strong, trusting relationship, 
you know, that PCP is the person who's going to go through some of the best and worst times uh, with a patient in their life and help navigate, navigate the complicated healthcare system, um, help them understand how to take better care of themselves, um, how uh, they can just navigate life in a healthier way. Uh, there's just so many ways that a primary care physician um, who's fully empowered to do what primary care uh, is supposed to be doing uh, can it positively influence society. And uh, there's not another medical specialty out there that does that. And what we've seen is that when we do that, when we introduce that value into a population of patients, it dramatically decreases the total cost of care because we're avoiding things that are preventable. Um, we are improving people's foundational health and you know, improving presenteeism at work. Like there's just so many ways that uh, primary care introduces value. Um, and unfortunately in our healthcare system, because of the payment model that we've had for decades now um, and all the ways that that has um, sort of toxically influenced healthcare in general and primary care in specific, um, primary care has sort of been rendered anemic and um, uh, disempowered to have that kind of influence. And uh, so a big focus of my job is, and of elation, is on uh, payment reform so that we can uh, pay primary care differently and um, liberate primary care from that toxic payment model that has disempowered them. What role would you say technology has in changing this landscape? So in the, a digital era, um, there are so many things that primary care can do and should do that um, can get more upstream um, and more proactive in the healthcare delivery process. So instead of being reactive and waiting for patients to come in when they're sick, um, we can take a more proactive population approach um, to how we manage patients. We can find patients who have fallen through the cracks. We can um, identify patients who are at high risk for catastrophe in the next six months. Um, and, and we can help coordinate the care that's happening uh, for sicker patients across the complex healthcare spectrum. Um, we can navigate patients to um, a higher quality of care source when they need to go outside primary care. Uh, there are so many things that we can do, but it has to be driven by data um, and by understanding where patients are seeking care, by understanding where the best sources of care are, um, by collaborating across teams so that everyone's on the same sheet of music, by engaging patients in their own health care. All of that is powered by technology. I mean, we can make a lot of uh, headwinds by throwing bodies at this work, but that's a very expensive way to do it. And so to the extent that we can automate these things, um, the collection of a 360 degree view of data of our patients, the uh, communication across teams, the patient engagement, the care coordination, all of those things can um, be automated and um, empowered by technology so that we can run at a sprint. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love that elation places such a heavy emphasis on on that collection. I know you and I have worked together on um, a bit understanding administrative burden, for example, with uh, doctors here in Hawaii. So it's been 
it's been incredible to see it from all those different sides. Is Elation your first time exposed to the tech world? Or would you say that throughout your career, you have had uh, different types of technology kind of incorporated in? I kind of stumbled into uh, this sort of health informatics world uh, involuntarily. (laughs) Um, I was working in the army system and uh, the military health system had a homegrown EMR system um, that was deployed in the early 2000s um, across the entire military health system globally. And uh, it was a real stinker. Um, And it, yes, it increased administrative burden um, and uh, made lives, you know, a lot more difficult, but it also was creating a lot of patient safety issues. And we were, not able to resolve those years went by and nothing was getting better, no matter how much we complained. And uh, it seemed like no one was listening. And so um, I worked with my local team at a big army hospital to uh, lead a grassroots effort to identify what all those various kinds of patient safety issues were that were coming from the EMR And um, we got thousands of data points and we racked and stacked those, categorized them. And I put them into a presentation that I gave to my commanding general, my hospital commander, who was appropriately stunned by that information. And he said, the army surgeon general needs to hear about this. And this was just me being uh, a big mouth and complaining you know, sort of being the um, the channel of um, all of my other um, clinical colleagues who were struggling with this. And so um, I just said, well, somebody needs to do something. And, and so I did. And, um, and I wound up in front of the Army Surgeon General, three-star general, and all of his two-star generals, and all of his one-star generals, and his very senior colonels, a room of probably 50 or more, people, the most senior people in the army medical system, um, presenting the findings from my study, which the army surgeon general subsequently used in his testimony to Congress, appealing to them to replace this system with something better. And so because of that, (laughs) um, the army medicine chief information officer a uh, brand new chief information officer uh, was coming in and he was the very first physician in that role. It had always been, you know, sort of a techie wirehead type of person. And, um, and this was a physician for the first time. And he wanted to lead uh, technology and healthcare in the army in a different direction. He wanted to tie it to what clinicians need to take better care of patients, which is what it should have been in the first place. But no one had really known how to do that because we didn't have clinicians in roles of leadership like that. And he decided that he was going to build a team brand new in his job of people who had big mouths. And so he came for me. He came and got me and he said, I need you to come work for me. I don't know what I need you to do yet, but I need you on my team. And I said, yes. And that um, opened me up into a whole world of health technology that I never knew existed. And I learned so many things um, about 
business intelligence and clinical intelligence and um, data analytics and all the things. And, and so, and, and since then I've had the opportunity to work on so many cool projects and uh, you know, really change the user experience um, for thousands of clinicians, um, mostly in primary care uh, over and over again. And it's been so much fun. I absolutely love it because we live inside these systems, particularly EMRs, all day long. And it can make you or break you as a physician. You know, it really so deeply impacts your uh, work experience. Uh, So I've, you know, I've come to realize how much that really matters and how we, how incredibly important it is for both clinical users and patients to get that right. Wow, that the power of data, right? And I, I absolutely. So I come from like the congressional space prior to working in health tech, and I, I absolutely love that you were able to take this information to have such a an impact, right? And um, that just, I'm so, I'm so excited. And I know you've done some like advocacy work too. You had said, um, and can you tell me a little bit more about that? You know, sometimes it's just in the form of responding to an HHS request for information um, about primary care. And so, you know, we write up our thoughts about this and submit it um, on behalf of Elation. Um, but we are also collaborating with um, the American Academy of Family Physicians. Um, they've also um, launched a collaborative of primary care focused organizations called Primary Care for America. Um, and that focus is uh, both. Um, policy advocacy and public awareness regarding primary care. Uh, so uh, primary care investment, workforce, workforce transformation, you know, just helping raise awareness about the power of primary care. And so um, we have organizationally participated in public speaking opportunities. Kina, our CEO, actually uh, briefed Congress on the Hill um, as part, you know, representing Care for America, and um, and so uh, we've co-signed several letters to the Biden administration um, regarding uh, primary care, regarding things like investment, workforce transformation, behavioral health integration, things like that. And then uh, we recently became executive members of the Primary Care Collaborative, which is doing fantastic work, um, mostly on the payment transformation front. Um, but also on um, proliferating uh, primary care best practices and evidence and um, research, telling primary care stories, and um, and then behavioral health integration. So um, we're just getting started working with them, but um, Elation has been selected to um, be a digital innovator in the Digital Innovation Bazaar at the upcoming primary care collaborative conference uh, next month or this month, I guess. So, you know, we're really excited to um, talk to multiple stakeholders across the healthcare community about what Elation is doing to help support primary care and, and just be part of the national conversation about how to move primary care forward, how to advance the primary care agenda. And I I love that it's, it's such like a holistic approach towards tackling primary care as a whole um, there's just so many different avenues that are all coming together to kind of push forward. So for you personally, um, and even you've mentioned like Army being an actual physician and all of that, did you know primary care was your calling? 
Uh, it's interesting that you asked that. So um, my dad is a family doctor. Um, he was the first physician in our family. And when I was in college, I didn't know that I wanted to be a doctor. I, I My major was psychology, and I thought I wanted to do something in the mental health field. And then um, he introduced me to some of his colleagues, and they were asking me, like, so are you going to go to medical school and be a doctor like your dad? And I was like, no. And um, so anyway, they kind of worked on me a little bit and convinced me that maybe that would be a good career choice. And then, you know, it came time for me to um, do my clinical rotations and get exposed to OBGYN and pediatrics and cardiology and, you know, every single specialty. And, um, and every rotation that I did, I was like, well, this is kind of cool, but would I want to do only this? Like, is this, do I want to focus on just eyeballs? Do I want to focus on just musculoskeletal system? Do I want to see only kids? And my family medicine rotation was my last one that year. Um, and I kept thinking, I don't want to do what my dad did. I want to like have my own thing. And um, I got to my family medicine rotation was about two weeks into it. And I was like, oh man, I really like this. <laughs> um, it just really, really resonated for me. And I knew, like, I just knew I need to be a family doctor. I'm wired for it. What part of it resonated so much for you? I love the relationships with my patients. It is such a privilege to sit with a patient and hear them tell you things that they have never told another human being in the world. You know, sometimes I sit there and think, what qualifies me to be the person to receive this? Um, it's such an honor. And, and really to just help people change their lives and to be there for them during the toughest times and to see them come back better and see how grateful they are, you know, that, oh my gosh, this thing really changed my life. Um, to be there with them when they get a cancer diagnosis, like it's just, they're so, and, and to be part of their family conversations, there is just an amazing career field. It really is. Uh, just so many opportunities to help people and, um, and those, you know, long-term relationships and, you know, going through the ups and downs and everything. I just love it. That's absolutely incredible. And I remember when I first heard about primary care, I, well, I mean, I have a PCP obviously, and, you know, I've interacted with the healthcare system in many ways, but I remember reading like some, a line, it was, I think it was actually on Alation's website, but it's exactly what you just said, where sometimes these are the converse, the, the patients talking to their PCP is sometimes the only time they'll ever be able to articulate something that they're going through. And everyone, not everyone has a PCP, but everyone needs a doctor or needs some sort of like medical assistant from like a, on a daily basis or, you know, when issues arise. And so it, it just really kind of hones in the fact of how important primary care is to me and like, and it seems like to you too as well and as well as like elation in general. So I absolutely, I absolutely love that. And um, I can see the passion kind of like lighting through as you talk about it as well. Um, and so you mentioned um, with your, with your dad, how a few of his colleagues had brought you, you know, back into it while you were going through, you know, like stepping into the field of primary care and just throughout your journey, have you had any mentors that stand out to you that have impacted you and helped you along the way? 
So many. I mean, I really have been so fortunate. Um, I think the one that stands out to me first is a woman, a family physician by the name of Catherine Sauri, S-A-U-R-I. And um, Kathy was my very first supervisor when I came on active duty in the army. Um, And she was my, you know, the medical director of my clinic. And I, for whatever reason, the army really saw the leadership bone in me and, um, and cultivated that and continued to promote me into higher and higher positions of responsibility. And Kathy really taught me the business of healthcare. She taught me, um, how to think about primary care differently. You know, the health, the primary care that many Americans experience today is not good primary care. It's that debilitated kind of primary care that we talked about because of the payment system. And Kathy taught me what primary care should look like. She, she constantly was fighting for primary care within a big tertiary hospital system um, to bring in more resources. And so I had the good fortune working for her of working in a primary care practice that had mental health embedded, that had um, a clinical pharmacist. I mean, and this was way back in like 1998. This was unheard of back then. We had physical therapy um, in primary care. Uh, You know, there were just all of these integrated services that made primary care so much more effective in this uh, multidisciplinary team approach. Case managers, nurse educators, like it was really phenomenal. She thought about primary care. She had a big vision for primary care. And um, and she helped mentor me. I eventually became her peer, um, you know, was promoted into a position that was equal to hers. And then after that became her boss. She handed, handled all of that with such grace. Um, and she always was such a huge supporter and champion of me. And we worked so well together. And unfortunately, um, she developed brain cancer. Uh, We identified it at work, got her to her PCP the same day, um, and she wound up getting um, imaging of her brain, and and that uh, was identified, and and she died six months later. Um, But I will never forget her. I've had many mentors after that, but she really, really impacted me in such an unforgettable way. I'm so sorry. But wow, she seems incredible. And uh, I mean, 1998, that, that kind of holistic approach towards like the person is just something that I, it's unheard of. So she was way beyond her years. <laughs> and she really, she instilled in me that courage to fight for primary care, to stand up for primary care and say, no, primary care is really important and really valuable. And if we think about primary care more broadly, and um, and bring in additional services and make this a multidisciplinary team based. Like she was doing high value or value based primary care way before it was cool. <laughs> and she and she taught me to be courageous about that. That's 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 absolutely ah absolutely incredible. Um, I am curious though. So having worked you know within the army and now in a high like fast paced technology company, would you, what would you say have been like most like similarities as well as differences working for both? Um, well, it's, these are really apples and oranges, I think, because, um, you know, when I was working in the army, I was 
in a healthcare delivery system. And so, you know, the value proposition was very different from working for a vendor, a healthcare vendor. Um, and it's been, you know, certainly a learning curve for me to uh, work in the vendor space and understand things like marketing and product development and things like that. Um, and, and also there's just a lot of like cross-cultural stuff. Uh, the military environment has a particular ethos and culture and structure to it that um, is very different from how we do things in an innovative tech startup, <laughs> a California-based innovative tech startup. Um, and so it's been a steep learning curve for me to understand how to um, expand the way I lead and the way I communicate with coworkers and the way I get things done, um, moving from that vastly different environment to this one. So you, you've been in the primary care space for over a few decades, and I'm curious, you know, when you were in this like track, did you ever realize you were going down a track that didn't really resonate with you or what you wanted to do? Oh my gosh. So many times, <laughs> you know, this happens to probably most people, maybe everyone, but you will encounter things in your life that you realize, I hate this. This is a total body. No, for me. <laughs> Um, I, you know, it's not that this is too hard for me. It's that this is not for me. And I'm, I'm quoting Glennon Doyle's podcast. We can do hard things because I'm a huge fan of that. Um, but that's, you know, that's a, I think that's a great way to describe, uh, what has happened to me is that, um, I have been in roles or in organizations, um, or in situations where I realized, this feels awful. And it's not because it's too hard. I can do hard things. <laughs> it's because it's not for me. And uh, so, for example, I had a brief detour into academia. That was when I was coming straight out of the military environment. And it was complete culture shock for me, first of all. So I had a lot of um, acclimating and adapting to do. And I needed to do that. Like I needed to understand how to translate my leadership style into a private sector um, environment. Um, but then layering on top of that, the academic culture uh, really was an ill-fitting shoot for me. And, um, and I found myself uh, very anxious, hating to go to work, you know, just generally miserable. And I had to, I woke up one day and I said, this is not for me not going to keep doing this. And, you know, so I moved on and, um, and, you know, there've been other situations in my life that I knew, you know, this is just, I'm on the wrong path and I need to stop and wait for the right thing to surface. What's beautiful about that. What I've learned about that is that the right thing does surface and I've never been happier in my professional life than I am at Elation. Everything in my career history, all the lessons that I've learned, all the roles that I've had, all the opportunities I've been given have led me to this job. And it feels like such a perfect fit for me. Um, I feel great about the company culture. Um, I feel great about the activities that I'm doing. I feel great about my contributions. 
and um, and it and it aligns so well with my passion. And I I feel like you know all that other stuff had to happen to me in order for this to show up. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. I think there's a oh my goodness, I'm going to butcher this right now, but there's a Steve Jobs quote. It's it's like if you look back and connect the dots, you'll find that it leads you exactly to where you are, even though all those areas seem so obscure or like not connected. And I absolutely love that you've been kind of able to connect the dots to where you are today. Um, and I mean, you're so brave for deciding, you know, waking up and saying, you know, this isn't for me anymore. And I think that that's something that I struggle with on a daily basis where how do you differentiate when it's your gut telling you that you shouldn't be doing something versus you think that it's just too difficult or I don't know if I can do it. Um, what advice would you have for like younger, especially women, younger listeners that are looking to pivot or don't know if they should pivot? Like what advice would you have? It took me a while, I think, to really connect to my intuition, my inner knowing. That's a muscle that you have to exercise. You know, it's a practice. Um, at first, the voice sounds kind of faint and you're not really sure what the message is. Um, so you really have to tune in. But as you practice that, um, it becomes clearer and louder. And um, and so when I feel that feeling in my gut, when I know that this is a total body no for me, I'm much quicker today to, to pull the trigger and, and just like honor that about myself. And so my advice is to start working that muscle, to really start into that, to listening to your intuition. Um, it certainly helps to have wise people in your life that you're talking to. Big fan of therapy. I don't, I would not be where I am today without my wonderful therapist. I think, first of all, we have to acknowledge that the path to success is never a straight trajectory. I literally flunked out of college after the first two years. I should not have been there. I went headfirst into college straight out of high school. I wasn't in a place where I could like listen to myself and know that I wasn't ready for that. And after I flunked out, I took three years off. And then I got to the place where I was like, I'm ready. And then I crushed it. And the rest is history. You know, if I had listened to myself, if I'd known at that young age to listen to myself, I would have known this is not the time for me to go to college. I need to just go get a job and like just mature for a while. I I love that you shared that. And I laughed because I almost failed out my first year and now I'm applying for my PhD. So I just would like to say that that is actually pretty common, but we see things as such, like you have to get to A to Z. You have to follow the path, go your four years. Um, If you don't do that, you're doing something wrong. And I just, I love, thank you for sharing that because I very much resonate with the fact that I didn't do it right. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I was in the wrong major. I was so unhappy changed my major five times. <laughs> like, and here we are looking to get, I'm, I'm hoping to get my PhD in primary care, ironically, with all the conversations that we're having. But um, I just appreciate that you're, thank you for sharing. And also just that you're able to recognize that within yourself, but then, you know, come, come back to it. it just because you failed the first time doesn't necessarily mean you can't try again. Um, and I, I love, I love that. Right. It was it's not that it was never for me. It just wasn't for me at that moment. 
you know, I think that we, there's been, I think, more talk recently, thankfully, about this, but um, I'm a big believer that failure is so valuable in life. We need to do that. And, um, you know, there really is not any growth without it. Uh, that is how we learn. That's really literally how we learn and get better. And um, so I'm so grateful that I've worked on college. <laughs> I, I love that. And, and speaking of failure, what would you say have been like your biggest obstacles, you know, while you've been navigating your career and how have you overcome them? <laughs> the battles, the hardest battles that we fight are the ones with ourselves. Amen. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I have definitely had my share of those. Um, I think uh, one that I, that comes to mind for me is that, you know, I, so I'm objectively smart and I learned from a very young age to protect myself from vulnerability with my intellect. And I could stay safe by intellectualizing things. Um, and that was off-putting for people. Like people felt like they couldn't connect with me. Um, I, I wasn't really being honest about who I was and how I felt. And I, and you know, sure I felt safe, but then people didn't like me. <laughs> um, and so I have really had to do some work. I mean, I think I still do it sometimes, um, probably more than I realize or want to admit, but I've worked, I've been working really hard on um, tearing that wall down and learning how to show up as my authentic self and um, let people connect with me in a more human level um, and you know, be honest about who I am and how I feel. And uh, I think that that has been one of the biggest challenges of my life is overcoming that. And how do you know you're being your authentic self? I think it goes back to that intuition, um, you know, connecting to myself. Am I honoring myself in this moment? Am I abandoning myself? Am I being too protective of myself? Um, and then also getting feedback from people that I trust. Um, and I think it's a complex process, but um, especially, you know, when you have been doing something so habitually and reflexively all your life, it does take sort of rubbing up against other people or seeing yourself in the context of other people and getting feedback. I'm a huge fan of feedback. I think it's the breakfast of champions when it's given compassionately, obviously. So yeah, I think that's how I figure that out. I, I absolutely love that. And I don't want to get too much of, off a tangent, but I was going to share that. I think lately I've also been working on being more authentic to myself uh, versus like the responses that I have or the things that I want. Is it just because it's like a, a trauma response or because I really want to do it? And I think I've just been kind of, navigating that space. And so that's why I was curious for you, like for you, it's like, what, where is that muscle and how do I keep building upon it? Um, and how can we as humans just do, do that? Cause you can have both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You can have, and, um, one and the other, you know? And, um, I love that. And I, <laughs> it's, it's always going to be, it's like a piece of art. It's, it can be beautiful, but it, it can also be like a work of progress itself. Um, and so I, I love that. I love all of that. And I guess one of my, my next question is what is just focusing on, I guess we're talking about lessons. What have you, what would you say has been the best lesson that you've learned throughout your journey so far? 
gosh, it's such a long list. It's really hard to narrow that down to one. Um, you can say a few if you'd I mean, like. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, again, I, um, I really value, um, being able to be more authentic. Um, I have learned to value my failures in life. Um, I have learned that I can fail and still come out the other side. And there are good things on the other side of that. I've learned that when I'm navigating challenges, my job is not to try to control the outcome. My job is to show up and do my best and surrender the outcome. Uh, That has helped me be a lot less anxious about things and take things less personally. Like at least I showed up and did my best because <laughs> uh, the outcome is not entirely up to me. Um, sometimes that's not going to end the way I want it to, but that doesn't, that's not necessarily a reflection on me or my failure. So, and, you know, and, I, and, and going through all of this um, stuff called life, I have learned that I'm brave and, um, and I like identifying myself that way. You know, it makes me feel like I can get through things, um, even hard things, and um, and be okay, um, even if I don't want to, even if I don't like it, even if I'm scared of it. That's okay. Those are just feelings. Feelings aren't facts. I can still, I can still get through it, and not only survive but thrive. What's next for you? Seems like you, you know, you found the company, you are doing the work that you're so passionate about. What is, what is next? I'm going to keep doing more of what I've been doing and, um, and try to find new ways to get my foot in the door. Um, and we've been working on our 2023 planning, um, as a team, I, love working at elation. I love, I'm, I'm in such awe and admiration of Kina Fong, our uh, co-founder and CEO. Um, and, uh, you know, just her vision for primary care and for tech and how deeply she understands this. Um, it just makes it such a dream come true to, you know, work with her and be on this mission with her. Um, and so my plan is to, keep going, um, and just try to do more and faster because I definitely feel like we are on the right path. And, um, you know, we, it's, yes, it's an uphill battle, but we uh, are doing the right thing for the right reasons. And we just got to keep going, keep finding more people to add to the team and build more primary care champions and, um, and keep, trying to uh, make those meaningful contributions. Who is a woman in health technology that inspires you? 100% Kina Pong. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, if that's, the, if that's the answer, that's completely okay too. But um, that's that was my answer, I would say. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't it. think of a better one. Uh, she's, she's definitely my hero where that's concerned. Um, she probably wouldn't like to hear me say that, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> She's, for reasons stated, uh, you know, she's just phenomenal. Um, and for listeners, if you don't know about Kina and her background and her history, you should, you know, definitely go read about her. 
Um, she's, she's just a phenomenal human being and, um, it's so awesome to listen to her talk about primary care. At least for me, it is. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's a hundred percent Kina. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. So, uh, we're coming to the last few questions. These are a few quick fire questions. Um, you can answer just, you know, first thing that comes to your mind, don't think too much about it, but what's your favorite book? This is going to be random, but my favorite book is actually Gates of Fire uh, by Stephen Pressfield. That may not align very well with what you think you know about me, but, um, you know, it's the story of the of the uh, 300 Spartans at the Gates of Thermopylae, which is, <laughs> I mean, why that? But it's really more about um, the... Uh, you know, the, the connections that, uh, those soldiers have with each other, you know, my, I was, I spent 31 years in the military, so, uh, you can take me out of the uniform, but you can't take the uniform out of me. And, uh, so I really resonated with, um, you know, that, uh, warrior ethos and, um, you know, the way they, you know, took care of each other and, and, you know, sort of that, um, group mentality. But what I loved more about that book is, uh, how Stephen Pressfield wrote it. Um, it takes a little bit of getting used to in the beginning um, because it's kind of in old English, but um, it, it is so beautifully written. And um, yeah, I just, I love that book. I love it. I'll add it to my list. So do you have a favorite podcast or favorite video series that you enjoy? Yeah, I, I love listening to We Can Do Hard Things uh, by Glennon Doyle. Um, yeah, she's, uh, she's really great about, um, naming things that other people don't name and, uh, just being really open about, uh, being human <laughs> and, uh, and it's really inspiring and, and, you know, to be able to wrap words around things that, you know, you've sort of always felt intuitively, but never said out loud, um, there's something that really connects, um, and resonates. And so I've listened to every single episode, some of them more than once. I love it. And then do you have any hobbies outside of all the incredible work that you do? Um, I don't know if you would call this a hobby, but I volunteer in, um, and with an organization that delivers free primary care to um, a largely indigent population, most of them living with homelessness. And um, it is run by undergraduate students who are hoping to go to medical school or PA school or into some health profession. And, um, and there's a small group of us, um, physicians, PAs, RNs, who um, volunteer our time and sometimes our money um, to keep that thing going. And we teach those students what it's like to, to deliver primary care. They check the patients in, they check the vital signs, they take the history, they do the exam, they write up the note, they present the case to one of us. And, and then we help them manage the patient. We go and talk to the patient and they see how we do it. And so it's a great learning environment for them. Um, my 
my middle daughter actually is a quote unquote graduate of that program. And now she's just finished her second year of medical school. And uh, my younger daughter is in that program. It's just been a wonderful experience. I've been doing that since 2018. You know, it's something that I am contributing to my community. Um, It scratches my itch to teach, coach, and mentor, um, you know, the youth. And also, I've just built a sense of community with the other volunteers there. It feels like home when I show up there. You know what I mean? So I do devote, you know, a great deal of time to that. And it's important to me. And, you know, it's not, uh, you know, I'm not... Um, skiing on the slopes or doing something <laughs> cool like that. I'm not scuba in Texas. diving. <laughs> the slopes uh, in yeah, Texas. Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, whatever. Name your hobby. I'm not like a runner, a marathon runner, or whatever. But um, but this is this is meaningful to me, and I enjoy it. And you know, I get way more out of it than it gets out of me. Oh, I love it. And what is the organization called? Corazon Ministries. And uh, so. We, we deliver this in the basement of a church that makes space for us, um, but um, it's not a religious organization. We, you know, basically have our own thing that we do. We have a little pharmacy there and, you know, we have a little stash of DME and we take care of whoever shows up and we're done when the patients are done, you know, when there's no more patients to see. All right. Well, I have two more questions and then we can close out. So. Last second to last question is what's one thing that listeners can do to support you to support me (laughs) (laughs) invest Uh, in primary care. (laughs) I think, yeah, I think, you know, just spreading the message of primary care, um, amplifying that message wherever you can, you know, get a PCP, develop out that relationship, you know, support programs that are advocating for primary care and, um, you know, maybe follow some of Kina's thought leadership and my thought leadership on uh, social media if you're interested. Um, you know, would would love to interact with you there and um, see what, even for patients, what your experience is like. Um, we know that there is a lot of work to do in American healthcare, um, that it is often an abysmal experience. I also have those abysmal experiences, uh, my family and I do. And uh, so we have a lot of work to do there, but there's uh, no place to go but up. <laughs> there's tons of potential. And um, so we just need to, you know, to come together, like, you know, vote for politicians who have a good healthcare agenda. You know, that's a great way to support me. <laughs> snaps to that. Snaps, absolutely snaps to that. Um, and you said social media. How can people connect with you on social? So um, I'm on LinkedIn um, under my name, Sarah, S-A-R-A Pastor, P-A-S-T-O-O-R. Um, and it's Sarah Pastor, M-D. Um, I don't think there's another one of those. And then I'm on Twitter at, at Pastor underscore Sarah, no H. All right. Amazing. Well, those were my last two questions. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. To connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech around the world, remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. You can say hello to us on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And then we'll see you on the next episode.
The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.